0: overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello everyone and welcome again to Envision Together, going to our next level best. Today I Really look forward to having a conversation with Maggie Puritan, who is our guest today. And she has a unique story, unique life experiences, and I'm just excited to have her. And at this point, I just have her share any biographical
1: information she'd like to share with us. All right. Thank you, Pamela, for having me. I really appreciate you uh, you inviting me to the show and allowing me to be here. Um, (laughs) Hi, everybody. So yes, my name is Maggie Paratin. I live in Canada, in Toronto. I'm a business and leadership coach, but originally I come from Poland, so I'm an immigrant to Canada. I was born and raised in Poland. And probably the last generation that remembers communist regime. And then after university, very shortly after I was looking for bigger and better life Mm -hmm. and an opportunity came to apply for, you know, permanent residency to Canada, I immigrated. And when I came to Canada, I started working in a corporate career. I spent there a number of years and now I run my own business coaching business. And yeah, and I'm a mom in a blended family of four kids. We live in Toronto area.
0: Wonderful. Just by that introduction, we know that it's a lot that we're going to glean from you. But I want to start way back. Before we get to you being in Canada, tell us a little bit. You mentioned that you were in Poland during a time that was probably the last era of communism what was that like? Tell us, what was your childhood like? What does that mean? Because growing up in America, you see stuff on the news, you hear Mm -hmm. things, you read books, but I always, one of the reasons I love traveling around the world is I get to Mm -hmm. engage with people who are from that place and they can help Mm -hmm. me know what the place is like. (laughs) So,
1: (laughs) So share with me. Sure. So, um, I, the communist regime collapsed when I was about 11. So there was part of my childhood that's very different and there's different memories. And then there was part of the childhood that I you know, don't remember as well, but I remember from the communist regime. So I guess from the child perspective, it definitely wasn't all bad. You know, I had a fantastic or I have fantastic parents that loved me and my sister and took care of us, even though they did get divorced about when I was 11, you know, I had grandparents and so on. So from that perspective, it was, I would just say a normal childhood in a family that maybe was like, we weren't rich or well off, but we had food, enough food, we weren't going hungry, we were paying the bills, you know what I mean? Like you went to school, you had friends and so on. But then there was some you know, things that maybe are different that as a child, you don't know necessarily right away because you're surrounded by just one reality, right? So one of the things was that in theory, in the communist regime, nobody owned anything more of value. Like you could have a car or whatever, but the property was state owned. So Mm -hmm. we lived in an apartment that in theory wasn't ours. It was state-owned apartment. And hardly anyone could have a house that they would say, yeah, I own this house. It's mine. So was it like
0: your your state housing for life?
1: Kind of like that. I like, guess like a permanent lease. Mm-hmm. If you thought about it this way from a legal perspective, I don't remember what it was called, but it was okay. like a permanent lease. Okay. Yeah.
0: Could you move if you wanted to another Location. Yeah. Yes,
1: okay. you could. Yes, you could. You could move. I don't remember what you had to do to do that. Like whether you had to apply, and then somebody stayed with it. Like or the government official had to find somebody to your apartment. Like I don't actually know, but you could move because we actually, as when we were little, my dad, we moved to a bigger apartment within the same block. Mm. So originally we had like the smallest apartment that was available. And then when my sister was born, I I guess somehow my dad arranged for us to move to a bigger one. But there were people who were also moving cities and so on. So somehow it was possible. I just don't know how. Another thing that was probably different is that travel abroad was quite restricted. So if you wanted to travel within the communist bloc, that was much easier. So you could get a passport to travel to Hungary, or, you know, Eastern Germany, or Czechoslovakia, or whatever. But to get the passport to be able to travel to Western Europe, or to United States, or anywhere were extremely difficult. And, you know, you had to have family or some sort of connection. So for us, actually, we did that. My aunt immigrated to France in the 80s. And I remember we were able to go to her wedding. So we did receive him. And even as a child, I was able to go once to France before the communist regime collapsed for her wedding. But it wasn't easy. It was extremely difficult because the government feared, and rightfully so because you know many people did that, that people would leave and never come back.
0: And so the biggest thing that stands out to you is personal ownership of property. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What about,
0: I remember in a previous conversation, you told me some fun things in your childhood (laughs) and it actually reminds me of some things that happened in my childhood. Can you recount those to the audience? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: the, the limitation of certain foods or, or not even, how do you say like rationing of (laughs) foods that were not easily available. So, for example, meat. Uh, so every family was getting like a, and I remember it was like literally a piece of paper, like a square piece of paper, that would say how much kilograms of meat family could get a month and what types of meat. So it's not like you could just pick the best meat. <laughs> it was like certain types of meats, like you know sausage or whatever, like bag bacon and thing and and not only that so you had the ration but also like the stores weren't necessarily full of meat so it's not like you could go and just pick I was like oh I want this from my <laughs> ration you actually had to be truly lucky <laughs> to have that type of meat when you needed it yeah so i remember like lineups where you know moms or or whatever people would stay from 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. in the morning yeah. to the store that was opening at 9, trying to get in line, especially on like a delivery day, that, yeah. you know, if you knew you had an in, that there was a delivery, they <laughs> <laughs> would stay for hours just to get, you know, as far ahead in line as they could to be able to get some meat. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is that like coffee, for example, is the same coffee was ration that you could, whenever there was delivery, and that was even rarer, of course, than meat, because that was considered luxury good. So whenever there was a delivery, they would sell like, Small, I think it was like a hundred grams. I don't remember in pounds what it is, but small pack per family member. Mm-hmm. So then I remember pretending to be like a child of my neighbors because they drank a lot of <laughs> coffee, so they can get a little bit more, so they're not running out before the, you know, next delivery system. People, you know, people get very resourceful.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I like your word, resourceful. For me, we were working the system.
1: Yes. (laughs) We didn't have
0: uh, meat rationed or specific meat only that Mm -hmm. we could buy. But I remember when I was a kid, there was something called government cheese. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, as an adult, my family, we would spend good money for some of that government cheese. It was so good. I mean, like, what did they put in it? We would do the same thing. We would get in the line over and over again with different family groups to get lots of this free government cheese. So when you told me about that, it reminded me of those days.
1: And then I remember I told you the story about the chocolate saying that if you tried that cheese today, that wouldn't maybe be as good as you think (laughs) it is because there was this like fake chocolate that sometimes you could buy in a store that as children, of course, I love sweets. I have a sweet tooth. (laughs) to this date and so we would buy sometimes and I remember I loved it because there wasn't anything else Mm -hmm. and then at some point in my 20s I found it in a store and just of the nostalgia I bought it and it was awful like it was so
0: bad that's how you discovered this is fake chocolate
1: yes Yes. (laughs) so you never know how that cheese would have tasted for you now (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing these things. You know what I found so interesting about that little chat we had is it really made me reflect. I think I'm pretty good at traveling the world and getting to learn about different people and different cultures, but Mm -hmm. I'm still very influenced by having been raised in America. Mm -hmm. And we have these, I guess, preconceived notions or ideas that we get I grew up thinking communists. Everything about a communist society must be bad. So it was really nice for me to hear from you the things you enjoyed or treasure about your childhood. You know what?
1: Like, definitely not the system to live in. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Right. But (laughs) as children, (laughs) yeah, as children who are not affected that much by political. You know, constrained, or you know, you're not maybe in in a risk of going to jail. Of course, we we see it like my memories are not all bad. That's hundred percent right.
0: I know that we're discussing from your child eyes,
1: yeah. But still,
0: it gives me a certain perspective. Like I think, you know, what a hard life you must have had your whole life, and you open my eyes to seeing that, you know, a young person they're living life and life Mm -hmm. is good. (laughs) It's when you get older and start to mature and you see the limitations that it really affects you. But I thank you for helping me see that there are things from your childhood that are cherishable and that were fun and it wasn't Mm -hmm. all Looked at as you know a cloudy day. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's no, what we're I'm
0: talking about. But no, we're not advocating for. <laughs> no, I just want to make um, that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> clear. But you know what? I would be just wrong to have an opportunity to talk to you um, mm-hmm. with the things that's going on in the world today, and not at least touch on that. As we know that Ukraine is mm-hmm. suffering from the war, the invasion from mm-hmm. Russia, and so many people have now flee to your country public. Yeah. yeah, just what are your thoughts around that in general? I mean, you don't have to get really political. I don't want you to share anything that you're really uncomfortable about. Yeah, yeah, no. What do you want to
1: say? I want to say that it's horrible. I don't feel like in the 21st century, no country should be afraid for their own peace and we all should live in peace. And it it hits home, especially for Polish people, very closely because we were invaded by Russia and Germany in 1939. And we know how it feels being in your own country and other countries thinking that they have some sort of right to take your peace and freedom away. And that's why, you know, Polish people are helping so much and it's heartbreaking. I actually, you know, my dad was involved with my brother-in-law and my brother-in-law lives in Germany, but they were involved not that long ago, like last week to deliver a lot of help to the refugees because there's already tons of refugees in the city where my parents live and and it's heartbreaking. The stories are just heartbreaking and it's real. It's not... You know, whatever media is showing, it's real. And when you think about individual stories about women and children, it's just, you know, I don't want to cry here, so we'll just I hear it in
0: your voice. Well, thank you for sharing what you felt comfortable sharing at this time. Anybody who's human have to be touched in some way. Yeah. Uh, the pictures that we see on the news, it's just and yeah. and I don't know the details that it seems even that you have access to, and it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But thanks mm-hmm. for, for sharing. Yeah. I'm glad to know that you're in touch with family who is in Poland, and, and they're doing what they can to help.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, many people, it's not just in yeah, and Of course, there's other countries that are close to Germany, like Czechoslovakia and Romania. We kind of know how it feels. Yeah. But in Poland, there's also this um, connection because after the Second World War, there were parts of current Ukraine that used to be Poland before the war. And for example, both of my grandparents lived in those areas. It's like Northern Ukraine, very close to the current Polish border. And they were forced to move yeah. as the borders changed. Okay. And they were forced to move to current Poland that used to be Germany. So there is a lot of connection between the two nations because of that movement in our generations of my parents and mine, having some sort of connection through grandparents or great-grandparents to some of not the whole Ukraine. Ukraine is a really big country, but that Western Northern part. So there's also that, again, hits home.
0: <laughs> Ancestral connection.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks
0: so much for sharing so candidly. I will say that I'd like to hear a little bit more still Mm -hmm. about why you decided to leave Poland Mm -hmm. and what did you hope for in another country that you weren't getting there? I guess we're going to fast forward from your childhood and tell us how you transitioned to finally leave.
1: Yes. So Originally, when we talk, I told you that I had this dream as a child that I didn't remember even that my mom reminded me of that I wanted to have a house. And it came from the fact that, you know, we lived in a small apartment. It was like maybe 450 square feet, the bigger one (laughs) that we lived. So I lived, you know, until pretty much most of my life in not a bigger space than that until I moved to, to Canada. So my dream was always to have a house. And in the beginning, in the communist regime, that was almost like an impossible dream because you can't have it. And it came from seeing the villas that actually Russian officers occupied because during the communist regime, Russia had her, their, even though they weren't governing Poland, they still had their military bases in Poland to ensure that the regime stayed. And in the town I came from, there was two bases of Russian army, very guarded, and you couldn't like necessarily get in there. Although people still like you know went to stores sometimes because they were better supplied than our stores and so on. But the officers lived in villas outside of those base camps, right? And those villas, to me, seemed huge. And they were just like regular size, probably like 2000 square feet, no more, maybe three houses. But for me, they were like palaces. So that was the dream I had. So then fast forward, you know, communist regime collapse. I finished university in a big city. And when I came out of university, at that time, Poland was changing the economy and trying to get into European Union and so on. And with that, there was a lot of reforms. And from that, there was also a lot of unemployment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were like a spike in the population. So there's many of us young people. And even though I had a job, I was making like 400 bucks a month. And Mm -hmm. I was like, and Poland is not that much cheaper than North America. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, or even then, at that time. So I was like, wow, that's going to be hard, (laughs) making $400 a month and trying to, you know, start a life. Yeah, as a you know, young woman, I had a partner at the time, so potentially start a family, build a house, or have a house, or whatever. So that opportunity came. As I said, it was through a friend who told me about Canadian immigration program yeah. uh, as a skilled worker, which is like a point system where you get from your for your education, you know, ability to speak French or English or both languages, they're Canadian official languages, and all that. And when you qualify, you can apply. So it's not a lottery system like in US, it's actually like a formal procedure, more of an application. Mm -hmm. And if you meet the minimum criteria, you're almost guaranteed the permanent residency. What are the
0: criteria?
1: Your age, ability, they really look at your ability to come in here and assimilate well, find work and sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. really that's what it is Mm -hmm. and if you can do that and now and if you're if you are you know if you go through it then you have to have i think at that time it was like a twenty thousand dollars you need to have savings in order to when you come you can support yourself for like at least three months how did you you save
0: that kind of money with a four hundred dollar it was
1: hard resourceful (laughs) So, how did I save that kind of money? Uh, So, with my partner, we got married, and what we wanted was cash. So that was one way. We didn't don't give us presents. We don't have we, and we lived in a small apartment, so we had what we needed. We didn't have kids. One way was give cash, and then we just saved anything we got. I had like side jobs. I was teaching kids like French and English. Apart from my jobs, anything we could. How many languages do you speak? Well, really three. So Polish, French, and English. And Mm -hmm. then two, German and Russian, but not well. I can't really carry on a conversation. I just, you know, a little bit. So yeah, so because it was our year and a half that it took the whole process, through that we sort of like saved slowly Mm -hmm. all that money. And then we sold, of course, anything we owned, which wasn't a lot, like two old cars. (laughs) One needed a push to start. But we sold whatever we could and we scrambled to, you know,
0: discrimination. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So, why do you think you were one of the lucky ones, even in terms of mindset? I remember you telling me that you would look at these houses that were owned by the Russian military. Mm -hmm. And you really, really admired them and you wanted that for yourself. One day you were walking with your mom and you were telling your mom you're going to own your own house. And she was Mm -hmm. like, oh, please stop it. How is that ever going to happen? What was it about you? What was it about your experiences or just you uniquely as a young person that said, nope,
1: I'm going to do it? I think, of course, there's I really believe there's many things that come. But like if I think about three things of what sort of drove me one thing was that somehow and i think it came from my grandfather Mm. who actually fought in the second world war so some of it from my dad from my mom and also through my education like i studied i didn't study exactly law but some of the laws and um, some of like civil law or Economic law and also human rights law. And I was always of an opinion that as human beings, we're equal. You know, we, God puts us on earth, doesn't matter where we come from, doesn't matter what our religion is, doesn't matter what, wherever, we're equally loved and we have equal rights as human rights. So for me, it was thinking, well, if somebody else can have it, why not me? I'm not different. Right. Right? It doesn't matter if I come from a poor country or not or from a poor family or not. I have the same right. Mm -hmm. So in the sense, I have the same ability. If I go for it, it's possible for me. And then the second thing is definitely allowing me the fact that I traveled only in Europe, but like being able to go to France and being able to go to Germany and see that not only Russian officers had houses, but regular people, regular families that weren't, again, that much different than me in terms of the way they thought or the, what they said or whatever, right? That kind of like gets you to, okay, well, that's possible. Maybe not in my country, but somewhere else, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's possible for more than just select few, right? And so, so that was the second thing. And then the third thing was I do, you know, even though I'm realistic about my approach to life, but I would say I'm an optimist, like I'm a more on an optimistic side. And I have to say it comes from my grandfather who fought in the war. This man was like an ultimate optimist. And no matter how hard his life was and no matter what he went through, and it's been a lot. Now he passed away, you know, a few years ago. He was always looking on the bright side. And, and I think a some of it I learned, but every time I go into that spin of like, maybe I can not do it or it's not enough and so on, I remind myself of him and his story and get a different perspective, yeah. right? And I think that also helped me mm-hmm. to always look at the bright side and always look for being that Possibility that yes, it's possible, and it might be hard, but it doesn't matter because we live in such an opportunity time in a free country mm-hmm. where it's peace, where you can own property. Nobody, there's no state laws telling you you can't. So, there's already that is such a huge opportunity in itself.
0: I love your answer for a few reasons. I like that embedded in your answer is almost a nod to previous generations. It acknowledges that we're all standing on the shoulders of Mm -hmm. someone else Mm -hmm. and taking the time to acknowledge that and even reflect on it to see where you come from, who you come from, and Mm -hmm. what does that say about you? Because I believe just like traits are passed to us like the shape of our nose, the color of our eyes, our hair, whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) from our ancestors. I do think that some innate qualities are passed as well. And the more we recognize it and embrace it, it can help give shape to Mm -hmm. how we see ourselves and how we can navigate through the world. So anyway, thanks for sharing that. You shared a lot of good stuff there, but that's the one that resonated with me the most. (laughs) So, I guess let's fast forward even more now. You've made it to Canada. In most people's eyes, you're seen as successful. Although I hear in your own, I don't know, voice I'll say Mm -hmm. that you're still reaching for even higher. And one of the ways that you reach for higher is by helping others. Tell me maybe some things that you learned from all that you shared so far, your childhood, Mm -hmm. tenacity, being optimistic. And how that impacts your today and what you do today, the business that you have. And how did you shift into all of this?
1: I shifted all through this, through my corporate career and realizing that I just love helping people and help them grow. Because when I see, and that's as you say, like when I see my life and the journey I went through, and all the decisions that I made or situations I was in and how I grow, I'm proud of where I am right now. Yes, of course, there is more that I aspire to. But when you look at that journey, I'm proud. And it was possible, A, through my ancestors or people who supported me and people who supported me in my corporate career. And you know, I told you about my Canadian mom, somebody who hired me in the first Canadian job who didn't care about my lack of Canadian experience. And that's something as an immigrant, you're told like, oh, everybody looks for Canadian experience. So very often immigrants have to take jobs that they're even like way over, over qualified for, right? Like below their qualifications because nobody wants to see their experience in their home country and how can it apply in the new one? And I was lucky in a sense where somebody didn't care about that and they could see the transferable skills that I had Mm -hmm. and maybe the courage that I had to leave my family And, you know, move across the Atlantic Mm -hmm. and realize that that will be very valuable in the position they were hiring me for and take a chance on me. So that always like for that, I will be forever grateful (laughs) to my Canadian mom if she listens. Mm -hmm. And and that was always something I wanted to give back. So as I became the leader in the corporate world, as I grew and I started hiring people and, and leading teams. I always wanted to give people a chance, look past, not look for a perfect experience or a perfect resume, but look for that determination and just ability to adjust. Like, I believe we can learn anything. As human beings, we have that innate ability to learn anything. We just need to want it, right? We just need to be intentional about it. And if we do that, so if the person has that, they can be successful anywhere, And I actually proven that over and over because my best employees in my corporate career were the ones that just needed a chance that maybe didn't have the perfect experience or didn't have an experience in Canada at all. I hired a bunch of immigrants (laughs) (laughs) as well, and they just needed a chance.
0: You know, this is slightly off topic, but it's mm-hmm. making me think of a certain scripture. In the Bible, it says, those who are forgiven of much loves much. <laughs> For some reason, I'm applying that to what you're saying in the corporate world. It mm-hmm. seems that those people who really needed someone to see who they are and give mm-hmm. them that chance, they're mm-hmm. probably more devoted, they're yeah. going to work harder, yeah. they're yeah. going to be grateful on yeah. a different level
1: it's a different way. It's a connection that you build just from that, you know, yes, there is more to it that you need to build a connection as a leader. But, but just from that, there's already connection that you build with your team member, because you see them and you understand, you
0: know, and we all know how important even relationships are. Yes, just about anything you do in life. Yes, (laughs) yes. If you have positive relationships, that's more than half the battle.
1: Yes. And I just want to say that through that, I really realized that that's what I'm passionate about. You know, as I became a leader and I started hiring people, training them and helping them grow, not only in the roles that I hired them for, but then in their careers, preparing them for the next role and helping them really helping them see where they're maybe holding themselves back and like really coaching them. I realized that's what I love. And then let's pause move. there for just a yeah. moment.
0: Yeah. What's the biggest standout in terms of all these people you've coached, which situation comes to mind the most of, wow, this person really didn't see their full potential and you help them see it and get to the next level.
1: So there were a few, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think there is two, two of my former team members that come to mind. One of them is actually a young gentleman uh, that was an immigrant from Brazil, mm. and and it was the same. He just, but he didn't even see how hardworking and devoted and how smart he was. Mm. So again, just hiring him and seeing that and nurturing that really spring for his career because when i left my corporate world he was already you know like operations manager and was doing yeah. amazing right and then um another again there was a number but then another one was a woman and who has this like inner power in her and it's amazing with people but at the same time Through either through her experience, her life doesn't necessarily have all the confidence in herself. So being able to nurture that confidence and give her that foundational support from it so she can, you know, spring on that and really shine. She was my manager of the of part of my team. And you know, when we went online through COVID, like the amazing solutions that she was able to create to keep the team engaged to hire and train people for their jobs remotely which we haven't done before our team was sort of yes we could work from home but we were training and hiring people in person and we had to switch like that it just was just wonderful to see. But then at the same time, like she was always like, oh, am I doing right? Am I, you know, am I, is it good? I'm like, it's amazing. Sometimes people don't see how amazing they are. So having that somebody who can tell them or maybe just guide them a little bit or redirect them, but provide that foundational confidence support and teach them how to build it on their own is, I think it's invaluable and it can bring so much out of any person, I truly believe that. So it sounds like to me
0: that you have an ability to see other people's potential, yeah. and then you have something about you that can nurture it to to manifest out of them.
1: Mm-hmm. And and that's what I discovered, and maybe not in the words you said so eloquently, <laughs> <laughs> but more of my passion, and this is what I love to do. And that's what led me, plus a burnout in the corporate world, but that's what led me to become a coach, to do more of what I'm passionate about and not less. Because what I've noticed is even besides the burnout, the more I was going up in the corporate world, the less I was doing of coaching and developing people, the more of me was required to... with things that I was good at, but they weren't my passion. So it was stressing me out. You know, I truly believe. You've had a self-discovery
0: about what you love. You love being a mentor. Yeah, exactly. Well, which one gem? If people forget everything we talked about today, Mm -hmm. what one gem would you say? Please, everybody, don't forget this. Remember this.
1: So the one gem I want to tell everybody is that you are a leader. So whether very often we think that a leader is somebody with a position or a politician, or it's a certain thing, and I truly believe we all are leaders, and it starts with ourselves. So we need to be able to lead ourselves and grow ourselves. And once we do that, we lead others. And whether it's because of our position, or because we volunteer in the community, or just because we lead by example and others get inspired by it. Our family, our friends, doesn't matter. So that's my message. And what I wanted to say is that you can do anything you want and you just need to believe in it. And then take like, once you believe in it and figure out what it is that you want, just take one small step at a time towards it and you can get there.
0: I love that. And I follow that. I've been taking baby steps in mm-hmm. the direction of, of where I want to go. And anytime I decide on something new that I'm going to do, that's my approach. Take baby steps. Otherwise, mm-hmm. any of us get overwhelmed and we feel like we yeah. can't do it. But if you focus on one little small thing and you just get that done, then you focus on the next small thing and get that done. Yeah. <laughs> you look back and you see that you've grown in leaps and bounds. I think. It's been really nice hearing how um, people in your past were such a role model to you and speak to you in a certain way that propels you forward. And then it seems to me that you discovered at a certain point that you are that voice to others. And I think it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing when you learn a lot from life and when you achieve and you want to pass it forward. So I am so thankful for what you shared today, but I also would like you to share anything about books, your coaching, um, how people can get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, so the best way to find me or to get in touch with me is through my website. that's stairway to one word, or you can also find me. If you would like to listen to podcasts, I have a podcast called diamond effect where you will get to know me more as a coach and how I coach and what I think about business.
0: Wonderful. I am so honored
1: and pleased that you've joined me
0: today. And I really am deeply appreciative too for you being candid and sharing about personal things, even that may be related to current events and and from your childhood. Thanks so much. I believe the audience will get a lot from it. And I think the core... Of this talk, (laughs) and I don't know if I (laughs) saw it, you know, early on, but I think the core is really having something to do with believing in yourself, believing that anything is possible and knowing that you have something to offer and doing what it takes to grow yourself and to do the work to evolve into um, the reality that you want to have.
1: So That concludes our interview today. I am so grateful that you joined me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.
0: Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you were encouraged by today's episode, Subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.